0: Acts fifteen twenty two through thirty five. Okay, so I'm reading from the ESV. This is my personal study Bible, uh, and uh, happy to read it. So this is the kind of the follow up to the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Start in verse twenty two. Although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will teach you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right. The word of the Lord. And hopefully you guys heard that. <laughs> hopefully you can hear me uh, now. Maybe just someone can give me a thumbs up on that. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, we're going to dive into this passage today. And I actually wrote this sermon um, last week. Right, So I actually wrote this sermon last Thursday. Might remember the events of Wednesday. I, you know, maybe you heard about them, but uh, there were some pretty big events with the the riots and uh, what people are calling insurrection now down at the the Capitol. That's it was a pretty scary time and um, just some startling images, right? I think we all probably have images in our mind from pictures or news stories that we saw. The one that kind of there's several of them, but one of the ones that sticks out to me is when they like barricaded. Uh, the the house chamber right and you had those five security guards with their guns drawn and there was people on the other side of the door and you could kind of see faces sticking through and then you have all the following pictures of people in the chamber and it just it was just crazy it was just wild like not, nothing that you were expecting to see on a wednesday afternoon in early january we're like we thought you know 2020 was the crazy year not 2021 and 2021 was like let me see if i can up the ante a little bit we're a couple days in and we're gonna have a a wild time uh but these images and kind of just what was happening got me thinking about the bible maybe that's because i'm a pastor i don't know But I was thinking about you guys, and I was trying to think of like, what is the connection? How does the Bible help us understand our context and what we're going through in this moment? Are there any similarities? And I actually think there are quite a few similarities between the context of the ancient world where the Bible was written and last Wednesday, and just kind of the world that we live in today. Uh, Because Paul and Peter and Barnabas and those early Christians in the book of Acts, they lived... Uh, in a time of kind of like uh, warring factions, right? Uh, different political ideologies that were budding heads. Now, these illustrations aren't perfect. Uh, and uh, I'm going to use the words conservative and liberal. And I don't mean that like in today's modern sense so much because they just kind of mean their own things in their own settings. But there are some similarities and some differences I want to draw out. So... Uh, first, I want to talk about Rome, because Rome, in my mind, how I understand kind of that ancient context, was more liberal, right? They were this uh, huge global superpower, and you could uh, you could live and do what you want. You could function under their system. Uh, you could uh, enjoy kind of the Pax Romana, right? The season of peace uh, that the the Rome had won uh, through war. Uh, but you had to kind of play by their rules, right? So you had to, you could, you could worship your own gods as long as you also worshiped the emperor, right? So you could, you could do whatever religion you wanted as long as you also kind of purchased and, and, and bought into like their ideology. Uh, now, they would sometimes show leniency to the Jews and wouldn't require the Jews to, to worship their gods, but that was kind of dependent on the emperor. Now, that freedom would come and go, and it does remind me a little bit of our culture right we live in a very uh, kind of liberal culture that that says you know what you can believe what you want uh as long as you kind of adopt um adopt this kind of belief that there's no absolute truth right that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and um the only absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth <laughs> which is kind of self-contradictory uh right and i'm not saying this to, to alienate you know the culture but just to try to understand like what are the similarities and differences uh and uh and paul and peter uh, barnabas like they would have encountered kind of this level of toleration but also intoleration uh when they went out into their environment right so they uh, that's in rome and and, in greece uh and so how about kind of the more conservative end of things well there was also a huge segment of the population uh, that was rather intolerant of kind of the liberal uh, viewpoint Um, and this refers to like Judaism right and the zealots Uh, the zealots were violent insurrectionists who wanted to restore Judea to kind of its independent statehood we learned all about that in New Testament survey right they wanted to kind of go back to what they had to reclaim their culture their heritage their religion their government right so you have on the one hand you have Rome pretty liberal, but also not very tolerant. And then you have uh, Judea, much more conservative, very zealous for their religion and their traditions and their God, or so they think. So the question is like, where do Christians fit in? <laughs> where are we supposed to fit in today? Are we supposed to kind of err on the side of the the more liberal um, you know, culture at large? Are we supposed to kind of hunker down and be like the zealots and kind of embrace that? Like, let's go back to that conservative roots. Now the, the 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 translation's not perfect, but I still think it helps us understand where we are today because we don't want to fall into the trap of us versus them thinking, right? We don't want to have to fit into one of those boxes. And I don't think we should because we're Christians, we're the church, <laughs> and I actually think we're called to do something completely different. That when the world picks sides, we're to pick grace. When the world picks sides, we're to pick grace. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve, and grace is um, the forgiveness and love that God has given to us. We're to let that flow through us to our culture and to our world, and that's why I've entitled our our message for today a gracious counter culture, because I believe that's where we're supposed to be in this time, you know. And if you feel yourself getting caught up in the the left versus right rhetoric, that I think we're we might be missing something. <laughs> That the church is called to be its own kind of independent political body. Uh, the church is called to be a gracious counterculture. It was a place where, you know, Romans and Greeks and Jews could be united, right? Now, all those people surely had different political ideologies and opinions on how they thought things should be run, but somehow the Jews and the Gentiles could be united in that church culture uh, through Christ Jesus. And so I wanna look at like how they formed that gracious counterculture a little bit more closely. Now, to do that, we need to review a little bit of last week, what, what happens, the, the, the context, right? Monica loves historical context, and she talked about it in Christian Ed this, this time. So we're not going to quite do as much as she did, but just kind of reviewing the sermon from two weeks ago and just kind of the, the context of the circumstances that, that lead up to this point. So Paul and uh, Peter, well, Paul and Barnabas have gone out on missionary journeys. They've come back uh, to Antioch. Uh, just rejoicing about all god has done to save the non-jews the gentiles but then this group claiming to be from james travels north now it says kind of down in the text everywhere outside of jerusalem was called down right because they kind of viewed jerusalem up as on a hill and it was always up uh, but they they traveled down north <laughs> to antioch and this jew this group claiming to be from james the brother of jesus the leader of the church of jerusalem say hey you uh, the Gentiles, by the way, in order to be saved, you have to get circumcised. And I imagine all the guys were like, nah, <laughs> like, no, thank you. Uh, I don't want to have to ad- ad- adopt that cultural practice in order to go to heaven. That doesn't seem like that matches up with the gospel. And of course, Paul like argues vehemently against uh, 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 this, this, this belief, this practice. What ends up happening is they have to go back to Jerusalem, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, the church gathers, they have this council, and they determine that they're not going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to come to faith. But they do say, you know what? We want to be gracious, and so we're going to require that they do some things, right? And we, we read about that in our, our passage, right? You need to, uh, we, w- we want to lay no greater burden on you than, than these that, you know, uh, that seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Um, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, keep yourselves from blood, what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. These are kind of like the baseline requirements for what it means to be Jewish, right? They're not circumcised, but they're also then not kind of practicing and participating in the, the pagan rituals, the pagan worship, the pagan idolatry. So uh, in some ways, even that council is being gracious to that group of people that were arguing uh, that you have to be circumcised, right? They're not going all the way and saying you, you must be circumcised, but they're saying, you know what? We're going to try to, to be gracious to you. We're going to try to be a little bit lenient to you. And then Peter gets up in this, in this council. So this is before they send the letter. And he says, he, he says, it's all about grace. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So Peter's pretty clear, right? Even though we're gonna make these allowances and that's the decision that they make, he says, you know, it's all about grace. It's all about God's forgiveness. It's not about cultural trappings. It's not about getting caught in kind of cultural identity. And I wanna take that one step further and say, it's not about getting caught in left or right, right? It's not about getting caught in liberal or conservatism. Christianity is supposed to be its own unique and individual thing. And sometimes when we get caught in these these kind of factions, these these moments of tension and conflict, it can cause a lot of pain. It can cause a lot of hurt. And when they write them this letter, uh, when James and the, and, the, and the council decide, you know what, we're going to write this letter to the believers, they sort of apologize. They say, you know what, we're sorry that this group came from us, claiming to be from us. Like we're, they don't say the word sorry, but they say like, we're aware of the pain that they caused you. There is pain and hurt sometimes when we get caught into these cultural identity issues. And as Christians, we're supposed to focus on grace, uh, the gospel, and try to seek the peace, to model what that looks like in a, in a broken and divided World, And I think when, you know, I look back to what happened last week uh, at the Capitol, I'm disappointed and I'm saddened because there were people there carrying Bibles and signs that say, Jesus saves. And I've heard that that some people even carried the Christian flag, right? It's like this white banner with a blue square and on that square is a red cross. And they carried that into the, the house chamber, into the Capitol building. And that just sends a message that is so not Christianity. <laughs> that is not Christianity. That's syncretism, right? That's, that's buying into like this, this, this merger of political ideology and religious beliefs. Christianity is, is not a religion that goes to war uh, with others. I'm sorry, but it's just not. Uh, and that's the opposite of what it means to be part of a gracious counterculture. And so we as Christians are supposed to to model that, right? What peace and hope and grace look like in a time of conflict. And so I want to look at what that means in our passage today because I think we see four characteristics of a gracious counterculture. Two of them are F's and two of them are G's. We have faith in the spirit, forbearance, gospel loyalty and gratitude. So, the first one I talk about is faith in the Spirit. Verse 22 says, and I already alluded to this, that it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, to the church, right? These are people that are trying to discern through prayer. What do you want us to do, Holy Spirit, right? Like we. We know what's true, right? That you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved, but we want to be kind and pastoral with how to respond. And so they pray about it. They seek the Lord. And it seems good to the whole church body through the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, for it had seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So somehow the Holy Spirit confirms what they're supposed to do. And clearly they're walking in faith. They're seeking God and they're trusting him, trying to do what he wants them to to do. They're letting the spirit steer the ship and they're trusting the spirit is not going to steer them into an iceberg. They're trying to walk by faith, not by fear. There's been a lot of fear in our culture in this moment. And what we as Christians let fear control us and guide how we make decisions or how we respond in our political environment. We're not being led by the Holy spirit. We're being led by our own emotions. And so we want to seek the Holy Spirit. We want to seek to walk by faith and not by fear. Our world takes a bubble bath in fear. <laughs> Everything is bathed in fear. What's this what's this group really about? What they're re- what are they really trying to do? They're trying to destroy us. I don't care if you're on the left or the right. And when we as Christians fall prey to that kind of rhetoric, we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Fear makes it incredibly difficult to love our neighbors, to love police officers, to love politicians, to love our activists' neighbors if we're afraid of them. It's hard to love our neighbor too because of COVID, right? Who cares about politics? Let's just talk about COVID. COVID makes everything difficult. And uh, it's a journey learning to, to seek the Holy Spirit and to walk by faith as individuals on our front lines, but also as a church body as a whole, right? And I think we've really tried to to walk by faith. I was really excited about you know, the way our church came together in December to to reach out and to minister to the the Living Waters uh, Center for uh, Hope down in Lowell, right? Uh, to host a breakfast for any who needed it. And that was a way where we as a church were trying to walk by faith and not everyone went because not everyone was able to, it was too it was very risky. And yet some went and wore masks and we were able to step out by faith. And that's really cool. I was really encouraged by that. And how about, how can we continue to do that? Even on our front lines, we're going to continue to interact and serve with living waters and hopefully we're going to have a training day coming up pretty soon, which is really exciting, but just think about your own life for a minute. Your frontline, the place where God has placed you. How can you walk by faith in the Holy Spirit? You know, I've struggled with my own frontline, so I do CrossFit. You might not know that. Well, now you do, Uh, and they're still open and I still go. Uh, But I struggle because some people, you know, are more cautious than I am and many are not. And that can make it difficult. Uh, And yet I've thought even about quitting. So, you know what, should I just, should I quit? Uh, And yet. As I think about it, you know, I'm like, if I quit, I don't think that's going to be. It'll be based in fear, right? Uh, it won't be based in faith. And so, now this is my story, uh, my response. But what I do is I, I pray, I go, I wear my mask, I disinfect, I wash my hands, try to keep my social distance, and so far the Lord has been gracious to me and keeping me and others safe. And in that. I've been given opportunities to share the love of Christ with others and to encourage others that if I had walked away from that community, I would not have those opportunities. So I'm grateful, right? It's come at a cost and it's been challenging, but I'm trying to have faith in the spirit. And I know that many of you are kind of wrestling with that same balance of how do I walk by faith during COVID? And I just want to encourage you, like, keep going, keep trying to walk by faith. You're doing a great job. Um, and, and, and keep seeking the Holy spirit. So a, gr- a gracious counterculture is characterized by faith, but also by forbearance. That's my, my second F. I love the word forbearance. <laughs> it's this idea of bearing with one another despite difficulties. Uh, it's different than tolerance. Right? Tolerance is just kind of putting up with someone you disagree with. Uh, forbearance, I think, has this idea of like actively forgiving, of, of actively canceling a debt, of actively being gracious to people who don't deserve it. And we're called to do this with our church community, to give each other grace, even though we don't deserve it. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven, right? The great cross is that Jesus laid down his life for us to die for us because we're so sinful, like we deserve the death penalty. That's that's crazy, right? That's weird, but it's true. Right? I'm I'm sinful and I'm broken and I need a savior, uh, and God provides that for us through the death of His Son, Christ Jesus, and His resurrection from the grave. Now, if God Himself had to lay down His life for me, like, what can I hold against anyone else? <laughs> what can't I show? Why can't I show grace to others, no matter how they've offended me or bothered me or do things that I disagree with? And that's where we draw our unity from as a church. That's where we get our drive to form a gracious counterculture, because God is forming a gracious counterculture. And I want to be a part of what God is forming. Uh, So a gracious counterculture is characterized by faith in the spirit, by forbearance, uh and by gospel loyalty remember how peter said we're all saved by grace well the majority of believers uh at jerusalem were unwilling to put kind of the heavy weight of the law back on the gentiles in other words the majority of the believers weren't willing to say hey you have to be circumcised in order to be saved that was a minority that was this kind of faction of pharisaical believers uh the majority believed in the gospel and wanted to live in the freedom that the gospel provides, that if Jesus paid it all on the cross, what else do we have to pay? Now, we don't know what happened to those Pharisees, right? It doesn't tell us, um, it it does tell us that like the Bible, like the believers continued to struggle with this issue uh, throughout the New Testament. But we don't know if those Pharisees said, okay, I'm just going to trust in the gospel or if they stayed true to their party loyalties, to their, their the Pharisaicalism. Uh, But it's a reminder, right, that as Christians, we have to really prioritize the gospel, right, that grace really does have to win, Uh, that we have to, uh, we need to be united by the gospel, and let that provide us with harmony, uh, even in the midst of uh, cultural turmoil. And this doesn't mean that we'll never talk about things that are not gospel based because I believe the gospel is huge, right? The gospel is not just, Oh, I'm saved from my sins. That's where the gospel begins. But it it's like when you throw a a rock into a a pond and the ripples spread outward, right? The gospel has implications for all of life. Uh, And so we need to talk about all of life in light of the gospel, but we have to start with the gospel. Uh, I listened to a a YouTube video uh, this week, uh, a sermon, and one of the speakers, there was multiple speakers, uh, but he he talked about showing up at college. I guess his parents just like dropped him off at the side of his dorms. He went to Harvard, you know, and uh, I I did not go to Harvard, but uh, he went to Harvard and he played on the Harvard Crimson football team. Uh, And uh, when he was dropped off, he had all his luggage and he didn't know anyone. And he was just kind of standing there on uh, near the steps. And then he said, you know, his teammates came out and, and made room for him. They welcomed him. Uh, and it was because he wore crimson and they wore crimson that he went from being kind of unsure, not knowing what was happening, not being a part of the team to being a part of the team because they all, all wore the same jerseys they all wore crimson i think that's a reminder to us that as believers as christians we all wear the same color jersey right we all wear the color crimson the color crimson comes from the blood of jesus that has washed away our sins and so as christians we need to be united by that uh, and be loyal to that and swear no other allegiance but to christ and to the color crimson Uh, maybe you don't wear crimson, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you don't yet know Christ Jesus, but you want to. Well, the good news is that you can be forgiven of your sins, right? You can wear the color crimson too by repenting of your sins. That's just mean you say, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. (laughs) Uh, You come before God and you say, God, I, I need your forgiveness and your grace. And I believe that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. And that's how your gospel story starts, where your gospel begins to redeem you and your life and change everything about you (laughs) including how you interact in the world uh jesus died but then he rose again and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven and he's seated on the throne right now you know what that means that means that if jesus is on the throne (laughs) we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be afraid of road or of rome or greece or judea we don't have to be afraid of left or right or the tensions in our world because Jesus is reigning and Jesus is in charge and we are loyal to him and the good news about Jesus Christ. So a gracious counterculture is characterized by faith in the spirit forbearance, bearing with one another gospel loyalty. And the last one is gratitude. Look how the Gentile believers respond when they hear this decision that like, Hey, we don't have to get circumcised. We're we're just going to do these minor things. And that's really out of love for our fellow Jews. Uh, they celebrate, <laughs> they rejoiced, uh, they were excited. My mentor told me that joy is gratitude, right? They're like the same thing. I mean, when we're grateful, we're joyful, and when we're joyful, we're grateful. Uh, and they're filled with joy because they're grateful for the gospel. They're grateful for what God has done, and how that how that unites them as a community. And so, in a world marred by division and strife, how might we focus on? what we have in the gospel and be grateful for everything that God has given us. We can be grateful for so many things, right? We can be grateful for what Jesus did laying down his life for us. We can be grateful for our church community and the people that we do have that are different than us and see things differently, but that we're united in Christ. We can be grateful for the opportunity to serve living waters and to serve each other. When one of us gets sick, we can, uh, you know, uh, make meals and pray for one another. We can be grateful for that opportunity. And when we receive it, we get to be grateful that others have given it to us. Uh, we get to be grateful uh, that what we do at Cornerstone, and when we choose the way of Christ Jesus and, mo- and model a gracious counterculture, that that is gonna last for all eternity. That there's something in there that is precious and good. Uh, and that we are participating in the kingdom of God, which Peter describes as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great to know, uh, like in a time when, you know, we're seeing wild things on the news that you could be a part of something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And if you believe that's our country or the uh, the political group you're a part of, or even, you know, maybe our healthcare system, and you think, (laughs) I don't. Th- I don't think any of us really think that, but right. If we're putting our hope in those things, then, uh, then we're gonna we're gonna be disappointed because there's only one kingdom that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's the kingdom of God, where Christ Jesus reigns. I assume that many of you have been going to the beach lately uh, because uh, it's winter time. And what a great time to go to the beach! I'm pretty sure Bernie goes to the beach in the winter, uh, but the last time I went, it was a little warmer out and, uh, we were building sandcastles, Elijah and me, and I would, you know, fill the pail with sand and put it on the beach, turn it upside down, uh, try to put like a stick in it or like a spoon to be like a a banner, you know, a flag. And then Elijah would just smush it down. Right. I built the sandcastles. He smushed the sandcastles. Uh, sandcastles are wonderful, right? They're fun. You can build Uh, uh, you know, a a simple sandcastle like I did that's just like this pale, uh, turned upside down, or you can build like an amazing, intricate and detailed sandcastle. Uh, But whether you build a simple one like I did, or, uh, you know, one of those huge ones that has like ramparts and towers and uh, draw bridges, they all wash away. (laughs) They all wash away uh, when the tide comes in. And uh, I think that's a little bit of a lesson for us that we live in a sandcastle world, uh, in sandcastle systems and uh, powers. And it doesn't mean that what we do in this world won't uh, won't persist, won't uh, won't uh, last. Because I think there's things that we do when we do it unto God, when we're trying to seek Him and honor Him. That those there's elements that are going to be glorious and they're going to last forever. But we do need to remember that the, the primary environment in which we're operating uh, is kind of a sandcastle world. Uh, and so we shouldn't put our hope in the world, um, and neither should we uh, feel despair because of what is happening in the world. Instead, uh, we look for the rock. We look to stand on the rock who is Christ Jesus and to call others to come and, and stand on him as well, because he is a firm foundation and he will last forever and ever and ever. So a gracious counterculture is characterized by faith, forbearance, gospel loyalty, and gratitude. So let's let's continue to create a gracious counterculture at Cornerstone. I think we're doing it, we're, you know, it's a journey. Uh, and it, it's uh, something that we do as a church body together, but it's also something we do individually as uh, we make decisions to be gracious to one another, to be gracious to those around us. And so let's, let's do that. Think of a way this week that you can be gracious to someone in your church family, maybe someone outside of your church family, a family member or a friend or a co-worker. And, it, you know, maybe it's someone that's easy to be gracious to. Maybe it's someone who's very difficult to be gracious to. Uh, but remember that when we take the path of Christ Jesus, and do things his way, walking in faith in the Holy Spirit, showing forbearance, bearing with one another, when we stick to the gospel uh, uh, and all its implications for all of life, uh, and we are grateful. Remember that we're, we're just following Jesus. We're just being obedient to him. We're just being one of his disciples, and he did it all before us. <laughs> he, he walked perfectly by faith. Uh, he bore with us, even though it cost him his life. He was loyal to his father, and he preached the good news no matter what. And Jesus was joyful uh, because of his relationship with the father. Uh, And so we're going to put our trust and hope in him. A gracious counterculture is characterized by faith, forbearance, gospel loyalty, and gratitude. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, help us to hear this message that you want us to hear and trust in you to know you and experience your grace in our lives, and help us to model what it means to to walk in grace in a culture divided by conflict. And uh, it's not so different than the ancient world in which Peter and Paul and Barnabas walked. And so help us to navigate our time and our season. Lord, we thank you. Um, help us to just follow you and, and be obedient to you. We love Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. It's in his name we pray. Amen.